Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Philippians 4, 4 through 12. Well, good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, if you want to get that ready in just a minute. And I don't do this enough, and I need to do it more often and regularly, and that is that I so appreciate it. Even that, like that bumper into today's message, that clip is all produced and created in the minds of our creative arts staff. Would you help me express our appreciation for what they do each and every week? Thank you. Because I can't make a piece of art, but when I see a good one, I notice it. So I'm a critic, right? That gives me access. that I I can be critical of it, but those are fantastic, and I appreciate them. Uh, We're going to continue in this seven-week series looking at what it means to have life alive in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to consider how God is transforming us and what is the evidence of God working in our lives. It's not as hard to see as we might make it out to be. If you want to build your whole life on perfection and your ultimate goal is to become a perfect follower of Jesus, uh, let me break your heart right up front. You can't. It's not expected of you. God is not going to bring you from broken to perfect immediately. He's going to nurture you and grow, and he's going to transform you. And the biblical word is he's going to sanctify you. And this is a beautiful process at which God sets us apart. So how do we know that we're alive? I asked you the question last week, and it's the guiding question for me as I write these messages. How do you know whether you're just trying to be good or whether the Holy Spirit is transforming your life? What's the difference between operating by willpower and operating in the Spirit's power and what he's doing in us? You see, spiritual transformation does not come by just worshiping how good we are at keeping rules. Spiritual transformation comes when we immerse ourselves in the person of Jesus. We receive who he is. We receive all that he does for us. And in that, God does this amazing thing where he begins to build inside of us this Christ-likeness. Or you might hear us say here at Christ Church that our purpose is to help you find your completeness in him. And we believe that that completeness doesn't come just independent. It comes in corporate. Life together, growing together, and serving together. So with all of that set up, last week we looked at the fruit of the Spirit known as joy. 
And we realize that we do not generate joy and joy is not uh, based on our circumstances, but that our joy comes from the hope of the gospel, the story of all that God is doing, all that God has done, all that God promises to do, that our joy in all circumstances can be found in what God is doing for us, through us, and all around us. So there's a difference between having a morally good heart and a transformed heart. And many times I have lived my life trying to impress God with how good I've become. And I don't have to. I actually can impress God by enjoying how good he is and living in the hope of that. So when we read Galatians chapter 5, we see these demonstrations of God's working, his transforming work in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And in fact, Paul says there's no law for those. There's no rules about those. It's receiving them and living in them. But today I want to talk to you about a second fruit of the Spirit, and it's the, the fruit called peace. And there are real challenges in our lives to peace. There's real challenges in our life to joy. And as God transforms us, he brings these things to us that we couldn't generate on our own. Now, I've been really creative with the titles of these series. I want you to be impressed, right? You saw the beautiful imagery in the bumper video. Let me tell you how creative I am. I've entitled each one of these, The Joy in Jesus, The Peace in Jesus, The Kindness in Jesus. Huh? Huh? Pretty good, eh? For me, that's awesome. Well, the reason I'm calling them there is really instructive because I want us to focus on the peace that is found in Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. And then I want you to see how God uses that peace in us. So it's really the peace that is in Jesus and the peace that we get in Jesus. And so for each one of these fruits, there's a, a duality that we're after. The example of Christ and Christ in us completing us through this transformation. So what does God give us in the working out of his Holy Spirit? When our circumstances are painful, when there's suffering in our life, when there's hardship, he gives us joy a joy that only he can produce in us. And when our circumstances are challenging and threaten us, when we're not in control, when everything seems to be out of control, God brings us peace. So let's begin. God's peace in our lives. I want to walk you through what it looks like, what the scriptures teach us. The opposite of peace is anxiety, fear, and debilitating worry. So look at verse 6 with me in Philippians do not be anxious about anything. The word anxious is not telling us that you shouldn't have reasonable care. Like the moment both of my boys for the very first time got in a vehicle with their license and with their training and with insurance and they drove away in one of my vehicles. There is nothing ungodly about having a reasonable fear. Can they truly handle this live by themselves without me tapping the brake on the right-hand side and wanting to grab the steering wheel? Are you with me, church? Is that a reasonable concern? Absolutely. Is that ungodly? No. The word do not be anxious does not mean that you shouldn't have reasonable care and concerns. It means you should not be torn apart by these things, that you should not be devastated by them, debilitated by them, stalled, paralyzed, whatever term you want to use. So let me show you from the scripture here what the peace of God does for us. It brings inner calm when panic is reasonable. It brings a calm when panic exists. Verse 11, Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, your minds might focus immediately on the phrase, whatever the circumstances, but I actually want to 
take it back a couple of steps and show you that he says, I have learned. I have experienced the peace of God and it has taught me that when, when calm is unreasonable, calm can still be there. That God can do something in a moment that makes no sense. You might even uh, see in verse seven, it says, and it transcends understanding. It doesn't make sense how we can be calm when everything, every fiber in our body says panic, run, scream, be paralyzed. He's talking about poise, about learning to have equilibrium, a balancing of this is my reality and this is my God. And when I balance my reality on who my God is, even when I have no control, God can bring us peace. He also brings the presence of protection from outside ourselves. That not only does he bring a peace that transcends all understanding, he brings himself. He's in the room. I don't know why, growing up as a kid, when a thunderstorm rolled through South Bend, Indiana. Now, South Bend is in a valley, the St. Joseph Valley in northern Indiana. And so most tornadoes, we were always taught in school, would bounce over the county because it was in a dip and it would hit flat land and go flying like a bike ramp. And that, that made me happy. But I knew my dad was a Missouri boy and he'd lived in tornadoes and he'd seen tornadoes. And the entire time in a storm, I listened to the radio and I watched a little television tag on the bottom, but I watched my old man. And if dad got nervous, I got real nervous. And dad's presence in that house, I don't know what I thought, that my dad could stop a tornado, but I did. When my dad was calm and cool, I'm like, this is gonna be okay. Dad's sitting in his chair. He's not paying a bit of attention. I found out as I became an adult, he was frightened to no end, but he had four boys looking at him. So in the midst of that, I want you to know that part of the peace of God is knowing when I can't, he can, that he's there. This is the God I put my trust in, verse seven. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard is a military word. It means to surround and protect a city, to protect that which is valuable. And notice that the promise of the scripture is God is protecting you. He doesn't protect you only when you call out in panic. He doesn't protect you only when you have wasted your resources. God is constantly surrounding you with his peace. He's reminding you, I am here. I am with you. The peace of God protects. So Christian peace is not stopping the realities of what you're facing. Christian peace comes from trusting the promised presence of God, the power of God, and the goodness of God. It doesn't mean I won't be vulnerable. It doesn't mean that you're not under attack. It doesn't mean your realities are unreal. It simply means you don't have to be the one to solve all of them. God will be with you in this. So God does not promise that the storms won't come. And God doesn't promise that you won't get wet. But God promises as the waves come over you, he will hold you in place. That it's Jesus' example at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? That you either build your life on a rock or you build your life on the sand. And when the storms come, not if they come, but when they come, those on the sand are going to be wiped away. There's no foundation on which they hold themselves still. But those who build on the rock, that house will stand when the storms come. This is what the Bible means when it says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will be yours in Christ Jesus. And so I hope that that makes your tail wag just a little bit this morning. I know it's early and it's cold and it's a dark day, but the good news is, even on days like this, God is God. How do you receive his peace? What do we do to receive that? Very important to note that we don't have to trick, barter, or beg God 
to be good to us. God does not get fooled. We don't have to give the foxhole confession to get him to care about us. We just simply have to put ourselves in that place where we're willing to receive in any circumstance the gift that God gives us in that moment. So I want you to think of what God has done. I'm going to give you two actions this morning that I think are not only like simple, but they will be simply profound the rest of your life. Think of what God has done. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul does something very, very cool here. He's like, hey, look at, if I've learned to be content, look at what I'm doing and observe it, put it into practice. In other words, give it a shot. Step into this. Think about the good things in life. When he says, think about what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, excellent, and praiseworthy, is that, is that too generic? Does that make you go, ah, it's kind of like a bumper sticker, right? You see on a bad car. You're reading, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but how do I do that? What does that really mean? The Greek word means to drill down when he says think. It means don't just take the surface level. Actually bore down into the heart of it. Find out the truth of it. Ponder it. Meditate on it. You, know, you all know the word meditate is what a cow does, right? It chews cud for a while. It swallows it. It brings it back up on day three. It tries again. It takes every nutrient out of it before it disposes of it. And this is what we're to do. Paul says, I want you to meditate, to drill down on these things. But what's he actually talking about? I've been convicted in my study that he's actually talking about doctrine. He's talking about the truth of the gospel. Who is God? Who am I? What has God done to change who I am? What has he offered me in Christ Jesus? What does the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus mean to my everyday life? What does that convict me of when I drill down on these things and I don't just think about them simply for 20 minutes on a Sunday morning, but I actually spend every day wondering, how has the resurrection actually changed these things? When we think of all that God is doing, God brings us peace. He reminds us he has this. If you want peace, think about what you know about life and about God. Think about that study in Revelation we just completed and all the promises of Jesus' faithfulness. If we hold on and endure and prosper under him, what will he do for us? So when you're reasonably stressed, anxious, you can still find peace. We don't pretend that life isn't hard. We don't pretend that there's not spiritual warfare going on all the time. We actually remind ourselves, yes, it is true, that the souls of people are at risk, but the goodness of God is always present. So Christian peace comes from thinking about the implications of all that God has done, is doing, and will do. It's remembering who he is. It's remembering who Christ is. It's remembering the power of the Holy Spirit available to us. When you look at your, your value in the eyes of God as demonstrated in the gospel, peace will enter your heart as the Holy Spirit reminds you of truth and sets your feet. Second word, first words, think. Second word, thank him for being enough when we are not. Spend some time thanking God. Now, I I opened this second point by telling you that you do not have to trick, barter, or beg God to be good to you. So thanking God is not one of those tricks 
that when a child walks up to their parent and goes, Daddy, you're the best daddy ever. Every dad in the world knows, uh-oh, here comes the hook. Right? Bait has been set, will I bite? Right? Now, they may love you, and that may be true, and I believe it probably is for you, but I know when my kids were doing it, they were playing me. Dad, you're the best. What do you want? So we don't go to God and say, God, you're the best. No, no, we don't have to do that. Jesus told us, if you as a parent want to give good things to your children, how much more so does the God of all creation who needs nothing from us, how much more does he want to bless you, honor you, and value you? Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Gratitude stands up to anxiety. Gratitude pins anxiety. Because there's nothing wrong, read the Psalms, there's nothing wrong with telling God your world is rocked, your world is upside down, that people don't like you, that they don't support you, that people are trying to harm you. There's nothing wrong with stating your reality before God. He's not surprised, you're not giving him information. You're simply running to him saying, but I know who you are and I know you've promised to protect me and deliver me and even in the midst of the storm, I may get soaking wet, but I will not be knocked over. I will not be drowned. I will not be washed away. And so we thank God for who he is. We hold on to the promise of him and we do this, not in manipulation, but actually it teaches us to realize that whatever God does is right. Whatever choice he makes was better than any idea I had. I have to remind myself often, this is a tag phrase I use when I begin to pray. God doesn't need information, he needs my trust. And the word needs is optional there. Some of the scholars in the room might be going, woo, but you get the point, right? God doesn't need my information. I don't have to say, God, please be with Ethel, who's in room 219 at Mercy Hospital, as if God's in heaven going, oh, that's where she went. I haven't found her in a week. Thank you. No, God doesn't need information. He needs me to say, I love Ethel and I want Ethel to be blessed. And Father, you love her more than me. I am placing her back in your arms and out of mine. It's in those moments that there's a peace that enters us to know he can be trusted even when we can't. Or as one of my buddies likes to say, God does not need our help in his battle plans. He needs our obedience and our trust and our faith. This is what Romans 8 is telling us when it says that God will work everything together for good to those who trust him and are called according to his purposes. The peace comes from the fact that God's battle's plans are best even if bullets are flying around me. So Paul's testimony is not that his life took a turn from rough to pristine. In fact, when Paul wrote this letter, he was imprisoned. He was chained. His life was a mess. He didn't say, because I think about God and I thank God, that all of a sudden I got freed from prison. No. Paul actually says, no, it's, the fact is I've learned in any circumstance. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. That man could say this. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He'd experienced the highs and the lows, and in the midst of all of it, this is what he is teaching me. This is what I walk away with. When life is life, God is always God. When life is hard, God is always God. When life is easy, God is always God. When life is meh, God is always God. God is always faithful. God is always solid. He does not change. The wind does not move him. The storm does not even dampen him. 
So in the midst of that, when life is what life is, God will always be what God is. That brings peace. Because I can be moved by the wind and the rain and the storm and the heat. God's never moved. So do we believe that? Do we believe that God is God no matter what life is? So let's talk about the grace of our peace. We know what the peace of God is, and we know that he gives it to us, according to Paul, as we think and live in gratitude for his battle plan. So what is the grace of peace? Verse 7, one more time. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I was taught this in the last three or four years, and it's really helped me in my own devotional walk, my pathway of discipleship with you and in those moments I'm alone. And I never saw it before, but in verse 7, the point has been made to me, and it's convincing, that he will guard. He will surround us and protect us, but he protects our hearts and our minds. That's why we think and thank. It engages the totality of who we are as spiritual creatures. It reminds us of our, our thoughts, and it reminds us of our heart, because it's really easy to give your mind to Jesus. But your heart has to follow. When they said to Jesus, tell us what this is all about, His response to them was, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. One engages your mind, one engages your heart. And it's the way we are to live. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 16. Now, you might remember from our discussion, we're going to bounce from the life of Jesus demonstrating it to the principles of the scripture for us to demonstrate it. John chapters 13 through chapter 17 is Jesus preparing his disciples on the night he was betrayed and murdered. He is instructing them. And so we're taking snippets the first two weeks from these particular chapters. I want you to look with me in John chapter 16 at verse 8. Now, Jesus is leaving and he says to them, this seems like a horrible thing and you're going to have a horrible weekend and then it's all going to get better and you're going to look for me and you're going to find me. But he said, I want you to know right now, it is good that I leave so that I can bring one to you. I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit to you. Verse 8, when he comes... He will prove the word, world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. This is called grace. He's going to show us what sin really is. He's going to convict our hearts about what it means to follow Christ wholeheartedly and what judgment is and how God will judge sin and he will punish those who are loyal to sin rather than loyal to grace and forgiveness. Now drop down to verses 12 and 13 with me if you would. I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Remember when we talked about thinking? It's boring in on the truth of the gospel, the doctrines of the faith, the principles of righteousness that are found in God's holy word. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, instead of Jesus being in one location, the Holy Spirit will be in all of us who are saved and sanctified in the spirit, and he will instruct us on what Jesus was, what Jesus did, and what Jesus will do. That brings peace. You see, the job of a counselor is not so much to inform you of the truth, but it's to give you opportunity to experience it, to walk in truth, to experience the faithfulness of God. So unless you understand the goal of a counselor, you're not going to be able to get the advantages of the counseling. And the counseling is, no, this is true. 
and you're believing a lie or, or this is a truth that you can live out now and experience it rather than it just being in your mind, it actually can become a part of who you are and just flow through your entire being. Verse 14, the Holy Spirit will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. These followers of Jesus had seen the miracles. They'd heard the teaching. They'd been with this man in the best moments of his earthly life and the worst moments of his earthly life. They had seen all of it. They had seen Lazarus raised from the dead. And Jesus said, but I'm still going to send one who's going to remind you every day of your existence who I am, what I'm doing, why God is building his kingdom. Verse 15, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Where does the peace of God come from? It comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit reminding us of the truth, giving us a reason in the midst of the storm to set our feet, to not back up, to not let popular opinion and culture sway us from the truth, to not believe that Jesus lied when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but through me. To deny that in today's culture is so open-minded, it's so educated, it's so caring, and it's still a lie. The Holy Spirit reminds us that Jesus was not an ogre. He was, he was not this egotist who had to be the only thing we cared about, or otherwise he would throw us away. No, he was selfless, and in his selfless love, he demonstrated to us his care and compassion, and the Holy Spirit reminds our head and our hearts every day of our life, he can be trusted when nothing else can. So how does this gospel-centered life, what, what is it that we do what is it that we experience that brings us peace? I want you to know the scriptures are absolutely filled with statements of God's love and commitment to us. Anybody who doesn't understand that God is love has not allowed the scriptures to speak or they've interpreted them in a very selfish reward-based mindset that if God was this, then I would have this. And we don't put God to the test. His goodness is proven. We learn to place ourselves in the goodness of God to experience it fully so when you go see your counselor for help, when life's hard and there's no peace and there's no joy and you go to your counselor, the Holy Spirit is going to direct you to Jesus and the truth of the gospel and the promises of God. So there are certain things that we do. This is where it gets real practical this morning, I hope. This is where we as believers open ourselves up to the peace of Christ. It's in the sacraments. It's not a word we use very often here, but there are certain moments that we practice as a community of faith. It might be someone going into that little window and putting on a t-shirt and gym shorts and getting into a pool of water and making a profession of faith in Jesus Christ's redeeming work and being washed clean, buried in the water and coming out. Many people might say to me, do I have to be baptized? Nope, you get to. You get to associate yourself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And why would any of us not want that? And so you come out of the water and you're clean and you're alive and you have just professed to everybody a moment that the peace of Christ enters us. That I have received him, not it. I don't receive salvation. I receive Jesus. He's my salvation. When we take the Lord's Supper and we break that little piece of styrofoam out, right? And that little glass of juice... And we remember, we remember even in these little 
elements that don't have earthly value, we remember that we receive the peace of Christ, that we are invited to his table, and by his body and blood, we have been cleansed, and we have been adopted into the family of God, and we are brothers and sisters of one another, and we are children of the king, and in that moment, we eat and drink those little symbols, brings peace. Why do we spend time in the word of God? To hear our counselor's advice to listen to his voice, to engage our heads and our hearts so that we might, in the midst of a chaotic world, have a peace that doesn't make sense to anything, even ourselves. But we know when life is life, God will always be God. When you sit down and pray in the morning and the evening before you go to bed, when you pray over a meal or you pray with a coworker who's struggling and you give words of prayer, it's not the information we're giving God. We're accepting in the peace of Christ, God's battle plan will work, we trust it. We profess. You see, it's not just believing that God will rescue us, it's entering into the rescue. It's entering into the embrace. It's entering into the attaboy and the attagirl. It's entering into the, I love you, I care for you, I died for you. It's engaging all we are. You would agree with me, I assume, that the world needs peace. But the peace most of us seek is no fighting. The peace of Christ is so much deeper than we're not fighting. The peace of Christ is no, no, every one of you matters to me. Every soul matters. It's not the color of the skin. It's not the gender. It's not the education. It's not even what you believe. You matter because you're made in the image of God and he desires a real relationship with you and it will bring peace that transcends all understanding. It is a gift from him you cannot generate. You can only receive. And the first step of receiving that is taking a knee before King Jesus and confessing, you are my king. You are my savior. You are my God that your death on the cross was not just a beautiful moment, it was my moment of life. When life becomes alive is when we center ourselves, hear the words of Jesus to a storm, peace, be still. Look at Jesus dealing with the woman caught in adultery and saying to her, neither will I condemn you. Look at the cross and see Jesus stay on the cross when they taunted him to come down and he had all the power in the universe to come off that cross and walk away and leave us to ourselves. See Jesus staying on the cross. Look at him on the cross and listen to his words. Father, forgive them for they don't understand what they're doing right now. And in the midst of that, don't you find peace? Don't you realize when life is life, God is God? So in the next few moments, in the silence of this room, I would ask you to take that piece of bread and that cup of juice and in the peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, worship him. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.